Teachers are so important. Like, they actually are. Care about it and, like, actually try. I believe it is a beautiful piece of art. Welcome along to See Me After Class for 2020. This is a podcast that emanates from a beautiful school in the southern Alps of New Zealand. Now, let's meet the team. And here is Cathy, a parent who aspires to make connections in a community to build a successful future. This is Chris, who aspires to be an agitator who tests the boundaries just to see how the system reacts. And this is Anna, a silent observer who's a go-between between the students and the teachers in a classroom. This is Renee, who aspires to forge a progressive and creative path. And together, we are See Me After Class. Welcome along to See Me After Class. It is week seven, term three. This is episode 50 of this fabulous podcast. And today we are fortunate to have in the room Chris, Renee, and a special guest, Kelly, who is a student teacher working with Renee this term. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. And it's even more appropriate because today we are going to be talking about another ism. Last time we talked about racism and got a better understanding of that in the environment we're working in. And today we're going to talk about sexism. There are so many isms to choose from, unfortunately, but we're going to try to stay focused on this. And I say it's appropriate because it's three on one today, Chris. And you notice you haven't heard anything from him yet. We'll see how long that can last, ladies, <laughs> eh? Bring it. Uh, this, the bringing on this topic, though, did start this week coming out of a conversation in Chris's classroom that I walked in on just at the end. It was a level three English class. And it was a very engaged chat that some students were having with you, Chris. Can you just tell us a, a bit about, very briefly, what brought that on? I think since the story has antecedents, could I not be totally brief? Yes, you may. Okay. I will give you that permission. Granted. Okay, so I'll just talk about what happened before and then what happened in the conversation that you came in on the tail end on. So prior to this conversation in my class, a student had said something that was definitely outside of the boundaries of acceptable in relation to women. And I had challenged that and he had responded very graciously to that, listened, acknowledged that it was wrong, vocalised that he wouldn't do that again and ensured that he made good. And it was a decent response to having made an error. And I think everybody was really impressed with him, actually. He then reported later that he'd gone and spoken to his friends. And because that discourse is common in their interactions with each other, their group of males, he actually challenged it in that group and how everybody in that group had actually responded well to that and thought that they should modify the way that their, their actual sort of internal discourse to remove some of those features because I think he possibly had felt that he was speaking like that so casually and readily because it was familiar and he needed it to be less familiar so that was great what that led to was that the girls that were speaking to me had then seen an incident like that and or been part of an incident like that in another classroom and had challenged another boy on their use of derogatory language towards women and this time it didn't go the way that it went in my classroom and they had the experience of being told that they were politically correct and that their feelings were impinging upon their the freedom of the speech of the boy and a, a number of the kind of uh, challenges that were trotted out and the point where you entered Kathy they were asking about what to say next. Mm. 
Right, thank you very much, Chris, for that brief description of what <laughs> happened. Um, ladies, I'm wondering, from your experience as teachers, what advice would you give those girls if they were having that conversation with you at the end of a class? Kelly? Um, first of all, I would address the fact with the girls that the reaction they received was quite different to how it went down with Chris. Um, and I'd be really checking in with them about how they felt about that. Why um, why they might have had the response that they had, um, what they expected to get from challenging it, and then what actually happened. So I'd be really digging into that, I think, yeah. I totally would too. My first thing would be to talk to them about yeah, what, what their feelings were around it. But also I think the second thing would be... Um, I would want to validate the fact that they'd had it go and had that, that they'd said something because I think quite often when you get that negative response as a female, um, you kind of go, oh, why did I bother saying anything then? And so you kind of just maybe the next time step back and don't say something. So my desire would be validate what they did as well. What would you want to do, Kathy? Oh. Part of me would want to just cry that we're actually still having this conversation because over the course of my semi-lengthy life, you know, you kind of think you, you overcome your movie making some progress and then you realize that we're not and I'm seeing a whole new generation of young men and women going through this same, same old, same old. Um, and to a certain extent that's been unleashed because of global mm. uh, personalities, mm. you know, making that possible. Um, but in that situation, I, I think the validation would be important. I think that um, that sense that it is not about, it's about them and how they feel and that whatever they feel is okay, and that's the validation, I suppose, but that I guess it's the weight of wanting to move move other people's opinions about it that they clearly worth thinking about and I'd want to encourage them to do it because if we don't we're we just have a, a lot more of the battle left to fight I guess mm -hmm. ladies and that's that's the weight of what I'm feeling but I also want to equip these I would want to equip these young women to to feel confident about doing that in a way that doesn't wear them down but makes them feel hopeful it's really great that they can see that change happening in their male colleagues you know if this whole exchange has just gone down Chris in your class and they've seen the movement of that other young man who who made a choice to stand up himself and among his peers and try to change that dynamic um, you know hopefully they can encourage each other so I guess you have to hold on to the to the hopeful moments I think you can also possibly guide them to think about um, <clears throat> maybe the response from that one person was really confrontational or negative but I actually think you alluded to this before, Chris. What about some of the other minds in the room? Maybe you triggered something for somebody else or maybe you made a difference in that way um, and it didn't come to the surface. Um, that's definitely a really powerful thing to, to highlight for them as well. I think, especially with girls, they need to hear voices challenging things and like another girl in the classroom, that might have been a moment for her where she's like, oh, I actually can challenge this whether or not the response was good you know the first girl actually did just speak up in the first place and we need to acknowledge that and and really praise that effort as well that's right it's, it's role modeling and when you see it it's great to to affirm it um, and encourage it i see a role for teachers as role models do you absolutely yeah and female teachers particularly 
taking that time to challenge things. As Chris did in his classroom, if a female teacher had done that, would the response have been the same? Hopefully it would be, um, but that's modelling it for another girl who might be able to try that in the future as well. Yeah. Do you think the response would have been the same? I know this is hypothetical. I'm going to maybe say no. Um, it's not always the same, and I think that, I mean, I feel like I talk about that from... Um, uh, an incident maybe a couple of years ago where I did challenge something with one of the um, male students in my class and I got sort of a wee bit of a similar response. This was quite early on um, when I was a younger teacher than I am now. Um, a similar response to what the girls may have experienced in that, that class that they did. Um, and so no, I don't think it's always the same. I think that when when a, when a female speaks, um, they don't get this, the same um, they're not met with the same reaction that sometimes a man is. That plays into that systemic sexism where women's voices are policed more than men's are and in different ways. But yeah, it's definitely something to think about in our classrooms. Um, and it, it really highlights the importance of allyship. And we need to empower boys as well mm. within their own peer groups to be able to make those challenges and, and change the system from within instead of relying on women to do it all for themselves. We really need those strong allies as well, and I mm. think that's where our position of power as teachers can come in too. I think you're right, Kelly, to, to highlight the systemic nature of this, because it is, it's it's system and policy that makes these things ingrained. Any of the isms that we might talk about, it, mm. it is it's, it is in the bigger, the bigger systemic nature of it that needs to be, and the other thing about that is you can actually make that um, less subjective. You can point your energy toward that and then it becomes less about the individual students or individual players in any of these you know scenarios, um, because that's actually where we need to be aiming. Mm. We cannot forget that it's the systemic uh, nature of ingrained thinking that's actually forming these these young brains, and it's forming the the systems that we're working in. It forms the dynamics in the education system that you know you all work in. The interesting thing that comes to mind for me possibly because of recent incidents but that notion of performative allyship where the where the addressing things at a systemic level or performing a, a, a role of supporting a particular point of view even though you're not part of that group can have a detrimental effect because it can be considered to be tokenistic do you have you had a, do you have experience of that do you have thoughts about that in relation to your experiences well the tick box the old tick box exercise you know, you, um, I've been a part of forming some influential groups of leaders in the community, for example, over time. And that, you know, in quotes, diversity gets discussed at the formative table, right? And they end up being tick boxes in people's minds, mm -hmm. largely the male of a certain demographic's minds. But it becomes about, well, we need a, a woman from here or a this color person from there or even a geography base in this particular area. Geography has, has a lot to do with some, with power base. Um, yeah, that, so tokenism, when you say tokenism, that's what I think about is, mm -hmm. is actually observing those tick box exercises at work. Yeah, we really need to dig into the intention behind why things are done and what they're hoping to achieve and if we don't ask those questions then any exercise is tokenistic. I guess I'd just throw in that statistic of 
we're in a female-dominated mm. industry led by men. Mm. Yeah, like like much of the well, not every industry is female-dominated, certainly, but led by men is the common mm. piece of that I was about to leap on. But Renee, go ahead. I have some statistics on this. Ah, <laughs> I remember reading uh, quite distinctly about eighteen months ago an article from. Um, one of the New Zealand leading news publications um, and they had uh, published a great headline that sort of said finally that females had outstripped um, men in their representation as principals of um, state and integrated schools in New Zealand. However, <laughs> you dig down into that and you think about you know the demographics of, of each um, different kind like you know primary education versus secondary education around 55% of females lead a, a, a primary school whereas that statistic is only 33 in a secondary um, setting so in a and I, I think about like you know um, I, I don't have statistics on this this is just general kind of observations but in a profession where there does appear to be a, a higher percentage of female um, uh, staff members, 33% sounds like a really, really low number um, and it sounds like those males really have been elevated up the chain um, over the top of us. And it's 20% in business, boards of businesses. Wow. Yeah, under 30, just, um, yeah, under 30% of New Zealand's boards are um, led by well, actually, actually, I need to check my statistics on that. I think it's by. a lot fewer are led. Yes, yeah, I think we're world we leading go. in our, the low. Lo, how low our figure oh, is. Yeah. <laughs> Less than 30% of board directors are women, full stop. 27 companies uh, of the ones listed on the NZX have no women on their boards at all. Wow. Now, I've been dabbling in governance myself the last um, few years, and yeah, it is remarkable when you start looking around and you look at board vacancies, for example, mm -hmm. um, and you kind of do your little investigation and think, oh, I wonder if that's the sort of thing for me. Should I go for something there? And you look at the composition of the existing board and, yeah, I'm trying not to use derogatory terms, but they are of a very similar demographic quite often. Systemic. That's yeah. my word of the day. Well, I think when talking to the students about it, they bring up the perspective of... Uh, and, and the boys actually raised this today when we had a conversation about it. Um, uh, is it that women, and this is, no, forgive them for this position, but is it that women just don't want to do those jobs? But as we dug into that a little bit more, it wasn't as alarming an idea as it first sounded. What they were more saying is, do they see themselves in those jobs? They were, they were talking about how, and, and they used the example of a, of a builder, for example, Everyone knows that a woman can be a builder and is allowed to be a builder, but no one or very few people know a female builder. And so how do you see yourself and how do you make your way through the pathway to becoming a builder when there are no other women or people that you can identify with in terms of gender in that pathway? And that is part of it, isn't it? Yeah, and asking those questions is a really good way to start to really unpick what is behind that. So that, I mean, that is a useful question. Do they want to be in that field? Well. They might want to be, but what are the circumstances around their wanting to be or not? 
you know, what either enables or disables any career pathways for either, you know, for any gender. Mm. Um, so I think the more questions you can ask to get to the deeper layers, the better. And you, again, you guys are really well placed in the classroom to do that. I think there's some really magic conversations that really matter that happen in a classroom that a lot of parents wouldn't be aware of. A lot of parents would love to have those conversations with their kids, but don't necessarily know a way in. The kids offer us many ways in. <laughs> but we also have that awesome freedom to set the agenda yeah. on an hour-by-hour hour basis. This is what we're going to concentrate on this day. And there's a lot of latitude there. Mm. It's a it's a cool job if you're thinking of being a teacher, by the way. <laughs> just, just on the basis of that, of nothing else. It is. So, Chris, can I ask what advice you offered these students? Well, I certainly, that's interesting. One of the things that I've learned from this conversation is I didn't go back into their affect. I didn't stop to think about what the experience was like for them. They were enthusiastic in their communication with me. And I guess I'd like to say, I don't know if I, it's true, that they knew I affirmed and validated what they'd done because they know me and they understood me to be a person who stands for the same things. But Next time I'll check. Well, I went straight into it as I do because we're we're learning about representation and propaganda and language as a form of modifying thought. We, I just went into strategies. So interestingly, and I believed that was what they were asking me for. Again, I can't verify that because I didn't ask. So that's what's interesting about how I responded. So I talked about strategies. I talked about approaches. I talked about the way that, for example, if someone shifts an argument into the domain of affect and starts talking about how feelings are being used as a as a mode of argument, then it, then you can then you can actually start you shift your argument to match and report back your feelings that you are having in response to the actions that they're taking, because that's often what people do when they're trying to defend themselves using logical fallacies is they shift into a into a logical sounding defence, mm. and you if if you shift yourself into that same domain and address what they're saying, you can actually expose the fallacious nature of the argument and that so I was thinking I was talking to them about it technically we also did talk about the effect on the others in the room and how how having spoken up was powerful and they they noted at that point that the girls in the room particularly really responded well to the challenge having been issued and they felt quite empowered by that and then we talked about how it's sometimes a process and that that person might have been defensive with their stock responses in that moment but that the fact that they'd been challenged may chip away at their certainty about their position and that it may be something worth returning to that these things change over time with individuals and groups of people and that by having spoken up they're causing the person that they were speaking to to have to reflect on themselves whether they wanted to or not so they were in a sense are still asserting themselves that was essentially what i said I think you were there for that. In a nutshell, Chris, was that the nutshell? That was, the, oh yes, that was, that was the brief version. Um, yeah, well, and that makes me think about the whole idea of open-mindedness and how flexible any of us are in our thinking when we form an opinion about things. Mm. And so I guess what, you're, what I saw you teaching them in that moment was that ability to value open-mindedness in themselves and also find ways to expand it. And that whole idea of reflecting on what you think and what you hear from someone else and how that affects what you think is really powerful. And that's what 
well, that's that's what it takes to tear down any systems that are failing us, failing us as a gender, failing us as a um, as a society. Mm. Mm, absolutely. I'd also say it's you know when you the old the old adage that when you get knocked down you get back up again and it's that constant use of your voice and the constant questioning and the constant kind of bringing attention to um, these isms that will one day I hope um, knock them over. So perseverance is another one. Mm, that's right, and finding a relevant way into these conversations and a relevant way for the for the young people to actually identify what they do think and feel about it. Mm. Um, I've reflected, had reason to reflect in the last few years about even in the, in the health profession, health field, for example, science, the amount of research that's done on in quotes, men's diseases versus women's, for example. Don't dig too deep because it'll really scare you and, and depress you. But that whole, um, you know, Kate Rayworth, who is um, well known for donut economics theories and, and books and, and thoughts in that area, she essentially looks at the whole field of economics and says it was completely and totally created and crafted in a male dominated patriarchal society. And we need to look at that and we need to recognize that fact that this is what shaped decisions that are being made in the systems that are dictating how we live our lives. Mm. And there's, there's a direct, if you really plot it that way, you can see the direct effect. And so actually looking at those with a critical eye and considering alternatives and alternative ways to form different systems um, is a really helpful way to go, I think. And that's what gives me hope as I think about opportunities. So that's what I'd love our young people to be thinking about is how do they insert themselves into those, um, yeah, into those conversations and opportunities. And helping them to build their robustness so they keep doing it. Talking to the boys we spoke to last week, they were very pleased with their presentation to the school. They um, said that they felt that they got the ball rolling, but they also felt that nothing had really changed as a result. That kind of flatness you feel after you've put a lot of off effort into something to try and affect change. And then you realize that that's a drop in a bucket. <laughs> that's, that was hard for them, I think. Mm. Well, and the sad reality is it might take generations before that change that they see in their minds actually happens. But we know it won't happen unless they're doing what they're doing now. It's incremental. It's mm -hmm. hard, to, hard to teach young people about increments. <laughs> but that's why we need to build resilience and persistence into our education as well. And mm. using these opportunities to show that even just one person saying something when they see it, that's one step in the long process and they need to keep doing it. Eventually all the drops will fill <coughs> the bucket. Yes. Yep. Awesome. Right, should we start before our metaphors get ahead of us? <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me be part of the conversation. Thanks, team. Great. Yeah, thanks, Kelly, for joining us. Thanks and, for having me. Um, yeah, we'll see how long we can maintain this uh, gender dynamic over Ooh. the next few podcasts, Chris. Yeah. Awesome. I'd love that. <laughs> see ya. Bye. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>